0: Well, good morning. My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. That's a great song for Christmas, to remind us of what Christmas is all about, that it's about Jesus and, and honoring Him and, and thanking God for the Savior that came to save us, the reason for Christmas Day. There's a lot going on at Christmas, isn't there? A lot of things that we're trying to get our arms around. We're, we're decorating, we're baking, we're sending out cards, we're buying presents, we're putting on sweaters that are ridiculous. I picked out this sweater on purpose because it's right on the line. Like people don't know. Is he trying to be like ugly sweater or does he think that's like stylish? And if it makes you uncomfortable, that's my goal. So uh, maybe I'm hitting it with you this morning. All these things at Christmas that we get into with all the lights and the trees and the songs and the gatherings, all those things can point us back to the reason for Christmas, that, that Jesus came, of the celebration. They don't have to, but they can. We can find the meaning, the deeper meaning, in a lot of the things that we have in our, our Christmas celebrations. But there are times when maybe it's good to distinguish between our cultural Christmas celebration and, and the gift of Christmas Jesus, revealing our Father God, the grace and the beauty of, of who God created us to be. So when we think of cultural Christmas, a lot of times one of the main characters is Santa. And there's, there's songs about Santa, just like there's songs about Jesus. In fact, there's a song about Santa you guys probably could help finish up the, the lines if I were to sing a line. Like if I was to say, he's making a list, he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty nice, that's right. If I if I'd said, uh, he sees you when you're sleeping. That's right. You guys know a song and like the very first line in the song is you better watch out. I'm like who are we singing about really in this song? <laughs> if you think about the lyrics of that song, they're a little a little scary, a little uh, like who is this that we're singing about? And sometimes sometimes we part, start to put that language onto God. We start to kind of connect the two and think they're similar in how they approach us. He sees you, he's watching, he's making a list. Are you on the naughty list or are you on the nice list? We start to put that onto our Father God. We need to separate those two because that's not how God responds and relates to us. One of the gifts of Christmas, we've been talking about the best gift of Christmas is Jesus. And we've talked about how he is the word of God. He reveals God to us. He is God with flesh on. We've talked about how he is the servant who comes to lift us up and then calls us to lift up those around us to serve others. Last week we talked about how Jesus is the friend that we need in the storms of life. Jesus is this wonderful gift of Christmas. And if that's true, then, then why is it we sometimes think about him like Santa, like you better watch out, like he's keeping a list, who's naughty and who's nice. We, we seem to put these things onto him. One of the reasons that Jesus is the best gift of Christmas is that he, he rescues us. He steps into our lives and lifts us out of our brokenness, out of our pain, out of our our anguish, anything and everything that separates us from our God of life, our God of love. Jesus rescues us because we need to be rescued. Have you ever been rescued by someone? Anyone ever save your life in the midst of a trial that you've been going through? When I was a kid, I have three siblings. I have an older sister, older brother, and then there's me, and then a younger sister. And so the four of us uh, went out one winter, freezing cold outside, and went out into the woods in our backyard. My parents had a, this like, forest behind them, and about a block into the forest, there was a stream, a creek that went through there, about 15 feet wide. And we got to the creek, and we were all bundled up in the winter freeze. The, the creek was frozen over. I felt like a kid in Narnia, you know, with my, my siblings, you know. And uh, we walked along that creek for a while, and my little sister said she wanted to go to the other side of the creek. She wanted to walk across the ice, and we were all like, no, you shouldn't do that but sometimes kids do dumb things. And so she walked across the ice, and just after she got about halfway across, she fell through the ice. It broke open, and she went down. And I just reacted, you know. I just started running after her. And so, of course, I went through the ice as well, and I was in the water. And uh, we were kicking around in there. We couldn't quite touch the bottom of this, this little creek. We had our arms up on the ice. but they were, It was breaking as we would push on it. And so my brother then took action, and he came running across. And, of course, he went in, but he was taller and stronger than we were, and he was actually able to touch the bottom of the creek, and so he grabbed my sister, and he threw her out on the other side, on the other bank, and then he grabbed me, and he kind of had to get down underneath. I was a big kid. He kind of squat underneath me and haunched me up onto the bank there, uh, and now he was stuck in the mud of the bottom of that creek, and he couldn't pull himself out, and so then I have one kid, one sibling left, you know, Pam, my oldest sister, and she was the only smart one. Do you know what she did? Anybody have an idea what Pam did? Ran back and got my dad, right? She was the smart one. I'm like, I'm not getting into that water. And so I I hear my dad come crashing through the forest. I hear his voice bouncing off the trees. Get out of the water. Get out of the water, you know. And uh, the last thing I remember was sitting around the tub with our legs in hot water, trying to bring the feeling back to our legs. And, you know, you're not not brothers and sisters until you've sat in your underwear on the edge of a a tub (laughs) in the bathroom. You know, that bonds you in a deep, deep way. I needed to be rescued. My brother came to my rescue. I needed to be pulled out of that muddy creek, that freezing water. And in the same way, we, we need to be rescued spiritually. We need someone to come and pull us out of the muck and the mire of this life, the, the rebellion and the sin of our selfish choices and our anxious instincts. We, we need to be rescued. One of the best things about Jesus is that he's our Savior, he's the one who rescues us. And, and Paul wrote about him in one of his letters to the first century church. And, Colossians, here's what Paul wrote, For God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is why we celebrate Jesus being born in Bethlehem, entering into our reality. He came to rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and invite us into another kind of life, to, to put into us a new heart, to help us to understand our true identity as those created by a loving Father, to invite us into his kingdom, the kingdom of God, the power and the hope and the purpose and the truth of, of this kingdom that was made for all those who are made in the image of God, every person that you encounter. And the rescue mission that Jesus took for you and for me, it opens up heaven to us uh, in little ways right now, in a complete way in the future. The name that's given to this work that Jesus does, this, this rescuing work of Jesus, it's, it's Savior. That's why we call him Savior, because he saves us from our sin, from our, our brokenness. God saved us through Jesus, and God has been saving people for centuries. Um, as we lit the Advent candle, we went to a psalm that, that was written a thousand years before Jesus even was born. And, and I want to go to another psalm this morning, a psalm of David Written again hundreds of years before Jesus came, that speak that speaks of 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 God's saving work, of how God rescues us. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Psalm 103. And we're gonna be reading Psalm 103 together this morning. If you've got your your phone, you can open up your Bible app. And I just want you to keep it open in front of you because we're gonna go through the whole Psalm together this morning. And look at this this rescuing work that God does. We know a lot about David. He wrote this psalm. We don't know when he wrote it, probably towards the end of his life. But we we know a lot about David from the Old Testament. And there were just many times when he needed to be rescued. Times when he was running from his enemies, hiding out in caves. As the king of the people, there were times when he didn't know what he was supposed to do next. And he needed help. And there was times when his his own sin, his own rebellion... The ways that he would push against God would would get him in a cage of consequences and he needed to be saved from those as well. And so he often wrote about God's saving work in his life. And in Psalm 103, we see him starting in verse one. And he writes, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. David starts by saying, Let everything inside of me, all that I am, let me remember what God has done. I don't want to forget it. I want to remember the good things he has done. And, and what he calls that is praise. Praise is when we remember what God has done for us, who he is, how he has come into our world, into our lives, all that he has done. And so, so what has God done? Well, David starts to make a list in verse three. This God who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is why David says we should give our attention to God. This is why we remember him. Because of all that he's done for us, the rescue he was given, that he has forgiven us, he has healed us. He has given you and I a, a new kind of life. He writes that he satisfies the longings of our hearts, that he, he makes us like an eagle, that we would rise above David must have liked eagles, because he he writes about them here in a good way, and some of the the Hebrew language here, some scholars don't know if it's eagles or vultures that David's writing about. I'm like, well, they're kind of different birds, you know? But but the idea is uh, birds of prey that can soar, that can can just hit a different level in this guy. Isaiah liked uh, eagles as well. He wrote about eagles and how they help us soar above life, that when, when we trust God, we're like eagles with wings that cause us to soar above, and we get away from the, the craziness of our world, the, the challenges that are all around us, and we're given this different point of view as we are lifted up and can see things from a distance and see the larger picture. God allows us to have that gift. That's one of the good things about him. And David continues in verse 6 here. He says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. That verse 8, that sentence there, it's repeated about 10 more times in the Old Testament. It shows up in so many different places. And I love that word abounding in love. That word just has this wonderful energy to it, this joy, this This passion for us that God has. And his love is present with us and available to us. Verse 9, he will not always accuse, nor will God harbor his anger forever. He does not repay us according as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. David says we sin, we hurt others with our sin. There's a price that must be paid because of our pride, our selfishness, our hate, those actions that we do that push us away from God, that do not honor how God created us. Whenever we sin, we hurt ourselves and we hurt those around us. And justice demands accountability and payment for the pain that we cause. And even those secret things that you might do, things behind closed doors, and you think, well, it's just me, I'm only going to hurt myself. No matter what the sin is, when you are in relationship with others, even those secret sins will hurt other people those in your world, those in your family, those in your friend group. And there's a, there's a payment for that that's required by justice to make things right. And the good news is, is that that's what we are rescued from. That because of God's great compassion and graciousness, his mercy, we are saved from that payment because of Christ, because of Jesus. That's the good news that we celebrate at Christmas and in all other times of the year. And, and God's compassion for us doesn't mean so when we sin, he comes up to us and puts his arm around us and says, oh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Let's just pretend like it didn't even happen. That's not what God does. God's holy compassion knows that justice demands a payment. And so he sent his son to take on the weight of our rebellion and our sin. Jesus carries the cost that, that we should be paying ourselves, but we could never pay. And that is a beautiful thing for us to think about. It. Chris. That is a rescue that that Jesus covers the debt that we could never cover. David says it's because of God's great love for us that he does this. Look at verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God loves and he rescues us from our sin. He's like a good father. He shows up in our lives to to care for us. I'm a dad of three kids, and when they started to hit their teenage years, I started praying for them in a different way, because I, I remember back to when I was a teenager, and I think about the things that I thought about, and the things that I said, and the places I would go, and I said, I don't want my kids to have to go through the things that I went through. I began to pray in a different way, and my prayers for my teenage kids was, Lord, let me catch them in the act. Let me catch them early on, if they're want, if they're going down avenues that are not going to glorify you, if they're doing things that are gonna hurt them, help me to see it soon. Don't don't delay. I want to know quickly, Lord. Open my eyes to it. That's how I would pray. And I prayed that way, not so I could say, aha, gotcha. You know, that's not what I was looking for. I prayed that because I didn't want them to have to suffer, to go through the hardship that I had to go through. I didn't want them to have to go through the pain. Now, of course, we know all, all of our kids, all of us, have to go through times of hardship. That's how one of the key ways God grows us and, challenges, and stretches us. But I just said, Father, let me just find out about it early on so it doesn't have to get too deep for them. One time I was driving home from work to, to get lunch. And my kid had just gotten her driver's license. And, and she was heading from her school to, to get lunch. And in Colorado, when you get your driver's license, for the first six months, you can only drive yourself or one family member around. You can't drive everybody. It's they keep it pretty small those first six months to keep you working on becoming a good driver. And so she had had her license for about a month. And she was leaving high school to go get lunch. I was head home to get lunch. And I saw her car on the road ahead, heading my direction. I said, oh, there she is. And as she got close to me, I saw in her car she had like four or five of her friends. And they were having a great time. The music was going. They were just enjoying this freedom they had from the school. And uh, she was laughing and just loving it. And then as we passed, our eyes met on the, on the road. It's incredible the amount you can communicate in like a nanosecond on the road. Like all the joy on her face was gone. It was just like, oh, see, there's dad. He caught me. He caught me. She had a few weeks off of driving to think about her choices, you know, after that moment. But that, you know, there was an answer to prayer for me. Like that was f- one of the first times she was out driving and, and already she was like, okay, I, got, I can't push. These are rules I should follow. And we had a chance to talk about that. And the moment we get caught, it doesn't feel real good. None of us like, you know, having someone, having that finger put on us. We don't like being caught in the moment when we're pushing away from God, when we're doing things our own way, even though we know it's not what God would have us do. We don't like being caught, but God is a good father. And he sees what's down the road He has a bigger view of life than what we have, and he cares about our choices. It's God's love and compassion that saves us from the heartache down the road that we can't see. Not all of us have had good fathers in our lives. Some of our parents didn't live out that role in our lives with focus and joy and strength. Some fathers are absent. They're not involved, but God's not like that. He's a good father. He knows his kids. He cares deeply about each one of you, and he loves you. David said it's because of his compassion that he cares for us and brings justice when it's needed so we might grow. Look at verse 14. David continues and says, God knows us so well. In verse 14, he says, he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, and those who keep his covenant, and remember to obey his precepts. So far in this psalm, David's been writing about God, and now he turns his attention to us, to humans, and he says, you know what, we're like dust. We're like grass. We're like flowers. There's a little bit of a hierarchy in there. You see, you see the ranking system? You know, I don't know where you put yourself on that. Are you like the dust, you know, just right on the ground? Or have you come up a little bit in your grass? You're like a little bit off the dust. Or maybe you think, I'm that beautiful flower, you know, that rises above. And David says, it doesn't really matter how you see yourself. Our lives are short, our lives will end. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like thinking about death. I. Enjoying, I'm enjoying this physical life, this reality that we're in. I, I want to, uh, to love well and be loved. I want to be remembered. I want to live as long as I possibly can and making a difference in this world to stay independent and connected with God. And God knows all this about us. He created us for life. God created us that we would live and never die. That's how we were created originally. And he answers that longing in our lives with his great love. David says it's from everlasting to everlasting that we will know the love of God. Before we were born, during this physical life, even after death, everlasting to everlasting, God's love will be real to us, experienced by us. Those that fear him, it says. Other translations say that God's love is with those who respect him, those that worship him, those that, that honor him. Sometimes that word fear trips us up a little bit. All it means is that when you understand that you need to be rescued, and that there is a rescuer, that you turn towards that person, that you trust that person, that you put yourself under their authority. If you know you need to be rescued and that there's one who can rescue you, you trust them, you respect them, you fear them, you respond to them. I think it's important in this passage to point out that there is an if-then principle at work here, as David writes. If you keep these commands, then God will always love you. If you do what is right, your children will experience God's love. This is the understanding that David had as a Jewish man and in his Jewish world under the Old Testament law. These these covenants that God made with his people that were dependent. He says, If you do this, then I will do this. But there were covenants that God made with his people that were not dependent on our behaviors and on our actions. And these if then principles we see David writing about, they become a while still gift from Jesus in the New Testament. David was captured in the ritual and the the rhythms of this Old Testament religion. And Paul says in the New Testament, we're no longer under that law. We've been given freedom through Christ. And Paul would write to his friends in Rome, he would say these words. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still Sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the while still gift in there? While we were still sinners, Christ gave himself for us. We want to live into that beautiful gift he's given us. We want to respond to the one who came to rescue us. God demonstrates his love for us is that he sent a savior even when we needed rescue. While we were still stuck in the pit of sin, when we were doing nothing right while we were still captured by the impulses and riches of this imperfect world, it's in our while still reality that Jesus rescues us because of God's love and invites us into relationship with him. And living out that rescued life, well, then we might start to get back into some of those if-then principles. Because what we do matters, and how we choose and how we live this life matters. If we want to be the people of peace and forgiveness and love that, that God calls us to be, we need to surrender to him. We need to trust him and live into the life that he's called us to live. If we don't do that, we we won't lose our rescue, but we might lose some of the, the full life that Jesus created us for. I want to go back to Psalm 103 and just see, let's see how David finishes this up in verse 19. He says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding who obey his word praise the lord all his heavenly hosts you servants who do his will praise the lord all his works everywhere in his dominion praise the lord my soul and david finishes up this this passage here by the way he started it with praising the lord from his soul remembering all that god has done all the gifts that god has placed in his life and he does it from the deepest part of himself from his heart from his soul from from the deepest place that he understands about himself. It's so important that we take time to, to praise the Lord from our souls. We do have busy lives, chaotic lives, and there's this thing called breathing prayer that I think is important where in the midst of your busy days, you just breathe in and breathe out remember that God is with you and God is present. We need to have that kind of rhythm too. But it's so important that we also pause and step away and worship God from our very soul, from from the depth of who we are, stepping away from the busyness of life and stepping toward our rescuer. I want to encourage you during this holy season of Christmas to take time on your own or with your family to create moments of pause, to create moments where you can worship God from the depth of your soul. That's part of why we gather together here on Sunday mornings and other times as a community of faith, that we can know one another and worship God together to be in this place together. I'm so thankful that many of you are able to watch online and be with us here uh, through the online stream. But I just want to encourage you, if if you're physically able, if there's not a health reason that's keeping you from being with us, that you would come and be here in this place with us because we need these times together to worship, to read scripture, to pray. We need this time of pause. And I want to encourage you this week. We have this great time now, but maybe this week because you might be around family or you might be around friends in a different way. To, to create some, some time of pause, moments of pause, maybe 30 minutes on the couch together, where you start a fire in the fireplace and spend some time reflecting on this rescue that God has given to you. If you don't have a fireplace, you know, Netflix has a, a burning log you can put on your TV screen. You know, just start, just have some time to be together. And you're like, well, what do we do? You know, well, maybe, maybe just ask a question. Like over this last year, where have you seen God moving in your life? Just talk about that for a minute. Maybe read the Christmas story and then say, hey, let's draw a picture of our favorite scene in the Christmas story and you share that with each other. Maybe listen to four Christmas songs and you all pick out one line in each song that is your favorite line from that song and then you share that with one another and talk about how it reveals to you God's goodness and his grace. Just take some time, create these moments of pause to to give your attention to, to remember your rescue, to remember that you've been rescued by your Savior, Jesus and when the Bible talks about remembering, it's more than just things rolling around in your mind. Biblical remembering is something that causes us to take action. When we remember our God, when we praise our God, it should motivate us to, to do something, to, to take action, to be part of the kingdom of God, what he's doing in our world today. And when we remember our rescue, it, it should get us moving reaching out to those around us who need rescue, loving those around us who who aren't experiencing the life that God created them for. Sometimes we forget that we've been rescued. Sometimes we forget that we've been saved. We we take it for granted. We just, it sort of fades into the background. We need to remember that we've been rescued. If we don't take time to remember, we're in danger of following uh, in the example of one of the Old Testament prophets, Jonah. And God called Jonah to go to a the city, the capital city of the people that had taken Jonah and his tribe captive, the enemy. God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and tell them about my love. They're living in a way that doesn't honor me, and I'm bringing uh, judgments, and and I I want you to give them a chance to turn around and respond to my love and my compassion and my grace. And Jonah, at first, didn't go. In fact, we don't find out his real reason for not going until the end of the, the, the book of Jonah. In chapter 4, and and Jonah, he he uses the same language that David wrote in Psalm 103. David uses it to praise God, but Jonah uses it to argue with God. So right at the end of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1, it says says this, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, what he saw happening. He preached to these people, and they actually began to turn around and say, God, we want to honor you. We want to know you. Please forgive us. They changed. Their hearts changed. And Jonah saw that happening, and for him, it seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed to the lord and he says isn't this what i said lord when i was still at home that's what i was trying to forestall by fleeing to tarshish i knew that you are a gracious and compassionate god slow to anger and abounding in love there's that phrase that david writes in psalm 103 a god who relents from sending calamity now lord take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah says, I knew you were gracious and compassionate and that you were going to be kind to them and I'd rather die than see you be kind to those people. They don't live like I live. They don't think like I think. They look different. They believe different. They're not supposed to have the kind of life that you're offering them. I want you to listen to me this morning. As followers of Jesus, we're in danger of having this mindset of Jonah, of beginning to look at other people and say they don't deserve the rescue that I've received. We remember our rescue because if we forget, we start to feel like we earned this somehow. That somehow we've been good enough, that we belong here and others don't. We start to put people in categories like Jonah did. We need to remember our rescue, that God is for every person. And if they disagree with how you live your life, if you disagree with how they live their life, if they do things that you don't think is right, they still deserve the rescue that you've received. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to save us. And he invites us into that kind of work in his kingdom. We get to be involved in the saving of lives. We are never to condemn others like Jonah did. Let's remember our rescue. And when we remember, our hearts will break for those who have yet to be, who have yet to understand the forgiveness that Christ offers them. At this Christmas season, we need to remember those who need rescue and find ways to come alongside them, to know them, to express love to them, to hear their stories, to ask them questions. If you think about your world and you think, you know what, most of my friends are Christians already. I just want to challenge you. It's time then to create some new friendships, to get to know a new neighbor, to jump into another community group where you might get to know some people who need to be rescued, that, that God is calling to Himself. We need to challenge ourselves to get outside of what we're comfortable with and find those that God is inviting us to, to join in with his rescuing work. We need to pause and we need to remember our rescue. As we do that, this Christmas will be so much more, so much more for us. Let's ask God to help us live this way. Let's ask God to help us see those he wants to rescue. Will you, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for the ways that you revealed yourself to King David. That even before the Messiah came, he was writing about the saving work of God and his need for forgiveness. Father, thank you for rescuing us, for saving us from the price that, that we should have paid. Jesus, you carried it for us on the cross. And now we are forgiven because of your grace and your love. It's One of the best gifts of Christmas, that forgiveness. Help us to open it today. Help us to live into it Allow us to, to remember that we have been rescued and then remember, remind us that we get to join you in the rescuing work you're doing right now in our neighborhood. Lord, help us to see you at work today. There are so many of us, Lord, that carry people close to us on our hearts all the time. We want them to know you. We want them to fall in love with you. We want them to experience forgiveness. So Lord, we pray that you will move in their lives and allow us to see it happen. We thank you for your grace, your compassion thank you for your rescue. In Jesus' name, amen. As we finish up this morning, uh, we want to talk about uh, this this work we've been given together as Hillcrest Covenant Church. We have agreed together that we want to make a difference in our neighborhood and around the world, and we said, we're going we're gonna to commit to these kinds of things. And last June, we all approved a budget. You know, like Here's what we're going to bring in to make that happen. So as we finish up this year, uh, the leaders here at Hillcrest want to remind us of, of that goal that we're shooting for, that, that we bring our resources together to make a difference in the kingdom of God. So I want you to hear the story of Ben and Scarlett and, and how they've seen God working in their lives and how they've uh, contributed to the, what God is calling them to to give into this kingdom. And in this video, Ben talks about, uh, at the beginning of the video, several times he talks about the ECC. The ECC. He's talking about the Evangelical Covenant Church. That's the de- denomination that we're a part of. And so I want you to, to hear this story and uh, as we finish up our time together.
1: I'm Ben Johnson.
2: <laughs> I'm Scarlett Johnson.
1: We've been attending Hillcrest for about three months now since we moved from Phoenix. I'm a huge nerd and I was, uh, I was reading some books by an author that I really respect. He's a, he's a professor at a college affiliated with the ECC. And when I found out that he was part of the ECC, um, this, this author and his books were really challenging me in a good way. On, on a number of issues and I felt called out of a place of complacency and comfort and into something that was going to be challenging and engaging and really helped me get deeper into my relationship with Jesus. Um, so when I found out he was part of the ECC, that's when we just started Googling, you know, what churches are ECC. We kind of had a rundown from there and then we tried Hillcrest first after praying about it, and it was pretty much right away. Walking in the building, we felt at home here in a way that we didn't expect.
2: Yeah, we really, um, you know, we've been we've been involved in church and ministry and things like that for years. But um, what the difference I really noticed here at the community is it it just feels very um, Christ-centered, and you can just really feel the Spirit moving here, um, and just working in the people's lives here, and it's just warm. <laughs> Um, I think for us, our financial giving um, and the time that we spend here at Hillcrest as well, um, I think what we hope for in that is just lifting up the next generation. Um, We have a four-year-old daughter, and so that's really important to us is that she has that firm foundation in faith. Um, And just when you support that financially, you help build the leaders, you help build um, the children's faith, and just bringing them closer and closer to Jesus Um, And then I think in the Kansas City area, just the work that Hillcrest does in the homeless ministries has been extremely inspiring. And um, the, you know, the partnership that they have with the refugees um, and just welcoming them into the community. I think it's Mm -hmm. vitally important for them to feel that so that they can feel Jesus's love as well. And so by financially contributing to Hillcrest, all of those things can be further.
1: Yeah, and to build on that point, we were very moved when we got here. And in our first time attending a service, a a large emphasis was helping the recent refugees that had uh, come into the Kansas City area. That was one of the first things that was mentioned and it was prayed for directly. And we, that was like an answered prayer for us from moving to a place where, or a place, yeah, a place where it was serving the the community more than it was the world we feel like by being a part of the capital c church the body of christ here that's that's motivating people to really serve the world the way jesus would have and and minister to the the same people that he would have too and and we feel very moved by that
2: yeah and we've um you know it's a big step to sit and tie it and st- But that's such an important thing for us because of how much Jesus has changed our lives and how much when you really just trust in God and you give and you give back because you can't give back all that you've received. But if you give back even just the tiniest bit of what you receive, um, it's just so honoring and empowering and it can really help you grow in your own spiritual journey,
3: too. Good morning. I am Jeff Kurtz, and I serve on the Hillcrest Governance Board. And as one of our leaders here at Hillcrest, you know, I'd like to see us finish this financial year strong. And I encourage each of you to give generously and joyfully uh, before the year end now. We've stretched ourselves with a goal of $420,000 of giving for the month of December. I know this is a big goal, but I know God is a big God that can do this for us. In the future, uh, I'd like to have a time to share my own our family faith giving story, And but we don't have time for that today, so I'm just going to quickly review some different options on how you can give. Uh, the first would be online. Um, I know many of you are already set up for continuing online giving. You go to our website, set it up through your bank, and uh, you also have the option to do a additional uh, donation here in the month of December, and that would be greatly appreciate it. Uh, Another option, if you're not going to go online, is you can bring a check or cash, and you can drop it off in the back in the joy boxes. Thank you. Uh, Another option for those that want to maybe just uh, stop by the church office during the week, these next couple weeks, and uh, during the business hours, you can bring your donations at that time. And there's a couple other ways that I'd like to share with you that I've taken advantage of. Now, I'm not a tax advisor, I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express. So, take my words here for from my perspective, but one option for you if, if you 've been fortunate enough to have some stocks that have been sitting around for over a year and you made a little bit of money on it, uh, hopefully many have done that. you can take advantage of uh, where you can just transfer that those funds directly to the church and not take ownership and you 'll see uh, you could see some significant tax savings. You can just contact the church office and they can get you set up with the The contact information on how to make that, and it's very easy to do. I've done it a number of times. And another option that I just just turned 59 and a half this year, and uh, my financial advisor had advised us to look into a donor-advised fund. And, again, this is just another opportunity uh, where you can uh, take advantage of the tax uh savings associated with that so if any of these uh options uh you have questions about or or have questions about our church finances i'll stick around after the service and be glad to answer anything but now i'd like to if you could join me in prayer lord father thank you for giving hillcrest such talented staff uh, the blessings of this beautiful facility and just the wonderful fellowship of fellow believers who come together each each week to gather and praise your holy name. Lord, we thank you for your faithful provisions which you provided to us over the years. And we lift up again to you this year our finances and ask that you uh, help us meet our giving goal and let it be exceeded this month. Lord, I ask that you touch the hearts of those that may have never been had the opportunity to give to you, Lord. Uh, and for others that may have not been challenged to give a full tithe offering, give every giver the sense of your comfort, peace, and joy with their tithes and offering. Let us all look to God to bring in what is needed. We thank you, Lord, for giving us today to come together and worship, and we look forward to another season of this celebrating this son of your birth, of your son Jesus Christ, who has come to forgive us of our sins and give us hope for a future. I ask that you bless each and everyone here today in person or those online that have heard this message and accepted the message of the forgiving grace that comes from your son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.